You're listening to the Break Free Podcast, where we show up, tell the truth, and do the work so that we can live God's best for our lives. Let's jump right in. We have a special guest on the Break Free Podcast today, Aaron Mallory, the founder and chief executive officer of Grow Community. Aaron founded Grow Community to assist males, particularly males of color, that are often misunderstood and outcasted within our society. Aaron has over 10 years in the field working specifically with African-American males with diverse behavior challenges. Grow Community is a mental health service provider that specializes in trauma-informed treatment for boys and men ages five and up from low socioeconomic groups and or black and brown communities. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. What inspired you to dedicate your work to addressing the mental health needs of Black men, and what personal experiences or insights led you to believe this was an area that required urgent attention and action? That's a loaded question. I would say that, you know, what led me to this work is that really just trying to solve a problem, particularly within our community, particularly within the inner city or in the Black community as a whole. And really, I would say the couple of that is just gun violence the mass incarceration of black men that I've seen, you know, just across the nation. I think when I was younger, coming out of college, um, I didn't know kind of more like how mental health would work out, but I knew I wanted to be uh, an advocate and to create change. And I started off doing just a lot of mentoring work and particularly working with a lot of black boys, inner city Chicago, uh, you know, oftentimes that were either expelled from school, suspended from school. It just had like just a wide range of diverse problems involved in the criminal justice system. But I started seeing the trauma that they were dealing with. At the time, I didn't know what trauma was. I just knew that there were factors within their household and their community, which created behaviors that we saw. And so as I was doing this work, this lady was like, hey, Aaron, you need to go into social work. I was like, social work? Uh, so yeah, I think social work would be a good, you know, a good field for you to go into uh, truly honing you know, on skills that you're doing. And so um, I went got my master's in social work and I really learned a lot about mental health, about treatment for mental health. We learned a lot about different models. And from there, um, I started working as a as a clinician at a community mental health center. And again, I had a case full of all boys and I would be in these households. And now I could kind of understand these diagnoses, understand what was going on with them. But like, I would be the only positive male that they would be around, you know? So like, the moms, the aunties would be like, hey, you know what, can you work with my other son? Or I have a nephew that needs supportive services as well. And so it just began to perpetuate where it's like, yo, there's a need. And from there, um, I really saw how growth can really have an impact and, and, and be that be that thing that we needed. And so um, in March 13, 2020, uh, I really just dedicated my time to do this full time during the pandemic. And we've grown since then. And so for me, I'm trying to solve a problem. I feel like mental health is the catalyst to kind of start addressing the ills in our communities. I feel like uh, mental health can really be the thing that we, we talk about and really helping our communities heal. And so really that's what have led me uh, down this down this road to do this work. Absolutely. I worked in schools, Aaron, for many, many years, maybe about 20 years, predominantly in the Chicagoland area, going all the way from like downtown Chicago to Roseland to all different types of schools. Um, I worked in other schools besides Chicago public schools across the nation. But, you know, I was doing I was using arts education to help with some of the issues that you're talking about. And um I remember because the the young men enjoyed working with me. You know, I was using the arts and we were doing creative writing, poetry, theater, that type of stuff. They kind of took a liking to the content and they always kept, you know, put me in the room with the, 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 you know, the young, the young men there in the schools. And, 
anytime um, it got to the point where anytime someone was getting suspended or gotten suspended, they were making them come with me. (laughs) They're like, you got to go spend some time (laughs) with Ashley. I'm like, wait a minute. I was just coming through to do theater, you know? But I learned a lot, right? I really learned a lot from my experience of working in the schools and observing um, just young people in general. Aaron, what do you believe are some of the most significant challenges that Black boys are facing right now as it relates to mental health? Yeah, I think the coping skills and really how to um, express themselves and how to deal with the things that's like agging at them, right? And so, uh, and we can look at it from a variety of different perspectives. Uh, I would say, you know, just oftentimes as boys and men, we're not really encouraged to talk about what we're dealing with. And so oftentimes we kind of hold it in and bottle it up, right? And so um, with that, we try to find unhealthy ways uh, to help maybe regulate or manage what we're dealing with, right? That could be drugs. That could be um, engaging in in, in dangerous behaviors, right? It could be um, a variety of different things, right? And so, you know, one of the challenges I'm seeing as I work with young people is just really letting them know and helping them understand how they can cope in healthy ways, but also getting them the support that they need. I was taking it a little deeper too, particularly inner city communities. I think the level of trauma that our young people, particularly our black boys are dealing with as well as an issue that I think we have to talk about, right? Like, you know, like I have kids that have, you know, just trauma in the household, toxic stress in the household, right? Whether that's verbal abuse, whether that's um, physical abuse or neglect, witnessing somebody in the household, um, you know, just go through a variety of different things, whether incarceration, mental health challenges, et cetera, right? Uh, oftentimes a, a father figure not in the household. So it's a single mom trying to do her best to provide, but she has her trauma, things that she's dealing with. And then also in the community, like a lot of the young people that I work with just in the city of Chicago, the trauma of how to navigate their community, like um, moving down one block or, or one street could mean your life, right? Like I got 14, 15 year olds that told me, right? Like I had a 15 year old that was just shot in his leg, right? Like he told me like, Aaron, I have to be very cognizant on how I move in my community because walking down the wrong street could be my life, right? That's a 14, 15 year old that's saying that to me, right? So you think about the trauma on top of that um, and dealing with like, you know, like as a kid, I grew up, you know, you might worry about, you know, you might get in a fight with somebody or things like that. Like, but like these kids, they're talking about like, yo, like this is life and death. Like for me, one false move or step could cost me my life. And so, again, that's a whole nother form of trauma that our young people are dealing with. That I don't think we really sit down and think about, like, you know, just what they're dealing with. But then also the behaviors that we see that lead to maybe we think about what we see on TV all the time, the carjackings, or we see uh, the trauma in regards to gun violence that we see. Right. And so I think for me, that's the biggest challenge is helping our young people recognize like, yo, let's really unpack what you're dealing with. Um, and let's help you get the support that you need. Let's start teaching you some coping skills. Um, but the challenge still, though, is that you're still going back into the same community, right? Like, right, the so, environment, right, yeah. the environment, absolutely. So, Aaron, let's talk about that a little deeper. Um, you said that in your organization, you, you're helping them unpack the trauma and you are providing them with coping skills, Um what it, what does that look like in your organization? Are we talking small groups? Are we like what, what's happening there? 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think first is they have a counselor, it's a, you know, so to have individual sessions just to kind of just get things off of their chest. Right. And so we have a team of black male clinicians right now. We have 40 uh, black male counselors and we're always you always well, we're always growing. Right. So in constantly bringing on more people. But the first phase is just the counseling. Right. And our counseling is a little different. Right. Like it might be, hey, we're going to go who? You know, just, you know, in the beginning of the session, just so we can build that therapeutic rapport and then we'll talk. We might grab something to eat. You know, we might go down to the lake, whatever. Right. Just it's not the traditional. Hey, come sit in the office on the couch like that. That's not going to work for the population that we serve um, Two, We also get a lot of young people that are on probation through Cliff County. Mm-hmm. So we started doing groups and our groups are centered around cognitive behavioral therapy um, and really looking at how to address thinking patterns, maladaptive thoughts thought replacement, just really teaching them skills on how to just really just shift their thinking, recognize how their thoughts are connected to their emotions. And for me, I think last weekend we did a panel discussion where I I took a couple youth um, and it was a, it was a community forum. I had like four of our youth involved in this panel discussion. And as we were preparing, they kept going back to the things they learned in group. Like, yeah, you know, like I feel like in our community, oftentimes our young, you know, saying my friends, they're just impulsive and they don't stop and think. Right. And they don't, they don't, they don't recognize that their thoughts are creating those actions or, or like they don't understand thought replacement. And I'm like just listening to them shocked, like, man, like y'all really are, are, are grabbing this information and retaining it and like applying it to their lives. Right. And just just how they were able to like really just even talk to the audience about that. So uh, and that was and those are group sessions that they learned it as well as their therapists reinforcing it as well. Um, but that's kind of how we deliver those those coping skills or teaching them those those things that they need. That's wonderful. 40 black male counselors. I love that. Before we talked about how your organization is um, really making a difference in the lives of these young Black men through your services. We were talking about the stigma associated with mental health in the Black community. And according to the American Counseling Association, Black individuals are more likely to experience mental health problems, like we were talking about because of you know, how we're brought up and things like that, but we're less likely to seek the treatment. How do you believe that we can overcome the pervasive stigma around mental health, mental health treatment in the Black community and create a culture of open and compassionate support for those who are seeking help with their mental well-being? I think it's twofold. I feel like first, the stigma is fading away. And I'm starting to see more people who are receptive to mental health services. Like, I think, you know, you just see a lot. It's publicized a lot more like, I do sure. feel like that stigma is starting to go down, but I, I feel like the challenge though is that there's a lack of uh, clinicians of color who can provide these services. And I think for twofold, I think one, um, the clinicians that are in these spaces um, who are doing the work, number one, maybe have a private practice or agency. Um, they have a particular um, clientele that they want to work with, right? And so, um, if you're poor and you don't have a lot of money and you just got Medicaid, that really limits your ability to get quality service. And so uh, people are reluctant or just don't really have a lot of options because of their economic status. Right. And if you're maybe working middle class, oftentimes people that look like us that are in the mental health space and private practice, they're, you know, they're accepting those PPO insurances, but people who are in working middle class, they can afford those type of things. And so also we recognize that there's just a shortage. Right. So the people who can do it, they're also backlogged up, right, and don't have the capacity. And then the people who are poor, they have very limited, maybe community mental health centers who just gonna do the bare minimum for them. And so they recognize and know that too. And so I think too, 
I think we just have to recognize that there's a shortage. And, you know, particularly with black men in this space, but just black people as a whole. And you think about, when we talk about going to mental health, that's the social work field, the counseling field. You know, I'm, I'm a social worker. I encourage people to go the social work route. But most parents, especially for black boys, they're not telling their sons to go get a master's in social work or get a bachelor's in social work if they're going to right. college, right? Like, that's the, no, nah, don't don't go that way. You ain't going to make no money going in that field, right? And so we have a shortage because the talented people, or they just talented, just people who go to college, they're not thinking about that because of the stigma. Like, mental health, I'm not going to make any money. Um, why go in that field? And so now we don't have people who look like us who can go out and be able to provide adequate services because of these stigmas that's been created. And so now people can't get the help and the support they need. Um, right. I think with mental health services, therapeutic rapport is very important. And you need people that look like you, who can connect with you, who can relate to you so that you can open up and really process the things you're dealing with. And so oftentimes people don't, when they go into that session, it may not have that person that look like them. And so they can't really get the help they need because they can't connect. And counseling is all about that rapport building in that relationship, you know? Sure. We had a guest um, on the Break Free podcast earlier this month who works for the National Alliance of Mental Illness and she was talking about her own personal journey as it relates to mental health and how she just for the first time um, now has a black, you know, a black woman who is her therapist and what a difference that's making in her experience because there are so many things that she can relate to, right? Um, just because she's black, period, right? Mm-hmm. They're able to connect on a different level and how exciting and, you know, impactful that's been for her. And I read recently, going back to what you were saying about access, that I think only 25% of Black adults actually receive the care that they need for um, the issues that they're facing as it relates to their mental health. And because of that, we know that supports aimed at addressing these specific needs in the Black community are critical, right, to improving the well-being of Black um, young black adults across America. So what steps do you think policymakers and mental health professionals should make to address the disparities in mental health access um, and outcomes for young black adults in America? I'm on a panel later on tonight. And one of the questions was in regards to um, the criminal justice system and particularly uh, Cook County Jail uh, is like one of the biggest quote unquote mental health hospitals in the country because of the mental health challenges that take place that they recognize and they have to address or are working to address, right? And so I kind of think about that in the question that you're posing. And I think too, I think with policy, I think when we need to think about prison reform and young yes. people that are involved in the criminal justice system, that you know, I think one of the beautiful things that the courts and j- judges and just the whole criminal justice system could play is that recognizing that treatment as an alternative to being punitive and locking people up. I mean, the science and research shows that just because you lock somebody up doesn't mean rehabilitation. And what we see with recidivism rates is the more people end up going back after, right? And so there's something psychological that's going on. Absolutely, it's psychological. And I I feel like one of the best policies is, and I I see like Cook County, Cook County Probation has a, um, Dr. Miguel Lewis is uh, a psychologist in training. And he's like the, the like the head chief director, right? And so like, he's really been pushing this notion of like, let's get treatment for our young people. Let's start helping them heal, right? And so, hey, you know what? Well, we still gonna hold you accountable, but instead of locking you up, while you're on probation, you got to get treatment. If you don't get treatment, then all right, there, you know, you know, then there'll be some consequences, but let's make, let's try to help you heal first. And I feel like if the criminal justice system, um, 
correctional facilities and create policies where we'll say, hey, you know what? Because, you know, some of these people may have never would have got treatment, but now they get it. And they're like, yo, I value this. Like, this is something I needed in my life. Right. And so even a lot of people that we work with, a lot of them are mandated to get treatment. And because of that, they're like, oh, I see the value. And after they satisfy everything, they're coming back because they say, this is something I need in my life. Like, this is value. It makes sense. It clicks. Right. And so just thinking about your question around policy, I think that's one. It's thinking about how do we incorporate this treatment aspect. I think, two, something also we have to think about policies that creates equity in regards to compensation for people who do this work too because if you're not paying people anything and a lot of agencies don't want to pay i think they could but because of just the the narrative is you do this because of your heart you don't do this because you want to get paid which i think is a bunch of baloney um i think that if policy is around like hey how do we start creating very good wages for people to do this work to attract more talent into this work but then also recognizing that hey people are getting burnt out Pouring, you know, their, their selves and helping people and going home and then having to work at Marshall's or Walmart because they're not making enough, right? Like I had a, I had a, one of my, my interns, she graduated from the University of Chicago, sharp young lady, right? Working her job, her, like one of her dream jobs and then not paying her anything, right? And so she's like, told me like, Aaron, I, I got to get a job at Marshall's so that I could just make income so I could keep up, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Spend all this money, to get a master's, do this work in mental health, but making penny, like make not making enough to cover her, just her, her, her way of life just to live and had to get a part-time job at a department store to supplement that, right? Like that's crazy, right? So I think too, like if we look at policies, like how do we create policies to ensure that, hey, if you go into this space, like it makes sense and you're, you're, you're compensated in a way where you know you're comfortable, you're able to take care of your family so you can see you had a value in doing this work. That's great. I love that answer. Thank you for sharing that story, too. I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to that, not just in this industry, but many, right? You go to school for something, you think you're going to come out and do it, and you can't really even survive doing that. So I love that you just highlighted the fact that people need to be compensated for this work because they're valuable and the work that they're doing is, too. So what indicators can someone listening use to identify if they or someone they're around is suffering from a mental health issue? Yeah, I feel like, you know, I think there's a wide range of indicators. I think for self, just recognizing if something is out of whack or out of balance, right? If you recognize that, you know, you're starting to display symptoms that just aren't normal. Um, If you're dealing with a substantial maybe amount of stress and it's starting to affect your psyche, maybe just, you know, just your thought process, right? And, you know, I think mental health is, is is a variety of different things too. Like you have mental disorders, but overall we all have a responsibility to take care of our just our general mental health, our general well-being, right? Like just how do we take care of just the day-to-day stressors or things that come on us that have an impact on our mental? What are some ways that people can deal with their day-to-day stressors? Yeah, you know, I, for me, like, yeah, I got to work out. Today we did a team building activity, like six, seven staff came out and we, we went to Swallow Cliff. It's like this little like stair workout area out here in Chicago. And for me, like me working out is very important because it just clears my mind and I handle stress a lot different. Like I can tell as I go through the day um, when stress hits me, if I work out or if I don't, you know, and there's a lot of science around it too. Like you produce serotonin, you produce dopamine. uh, You also produce BDNFs that helps you produce more uh, neurons to create neurotransmissions in your brain. And so there's a lot of science and research that supports, like if you're able to elevate that heart rate and get going, like 
mentally it could just help you out significantly just to get through your day. And so I feel like that's just one that best like that's my medicine, right? It's just I gotta I gotta I gotta do some type of physical exertion on the body daily, i.e. working out, um, to allow me to be able to just get through my day and to be able to balance my mental health. And so I would say that's one. I say two is also diet, like just kind of what are you putting inside your body, right? So you put a lot of sugary foods or things in your body. Again, there's a lot of science and research that says that contributes to anxiety and depression. So just really recognizing like, hey, how much water are you drinking a day? What type of food, the things that you're doing? Um, I think also too, the people you're around, who you surround yourself with. You know, if you're around toxic people or people with very negative mindsets or just kind of talk very negatively, that can have an impact as well on your mental health and your well-being, right? So I think those those things overall, I think also spiritual development, like, you know, what type of, you know, if you're a spiritual person, being in tune spiritually, right? Whether that's reading a devotional, right? Whether that's maybe being in your word, if you, you know, read a Bible or whatever, right? Like just, but really being in tune spiritually also has a, has a way uh, of helping you navigate your mental health as well, right? And so I think those factors play a role as you, just think about your daily, just how do you secure and make sure your mental health is all. I love how you laid that out. Absolutely. So just recapping exercise, um, what you're eating, your environment. And I just want to encourage anybody, if you know you're in an environment that you, you shouldn't be in and you need to make some adjustments as it relates to who you are around or even where you work, I just want to encourage you to, to do that because it's not worth your life. It's not worth your health or to be stressed out like that every single day because over time that adds up and it becomes a bigger issue, right? Mm -hmm. When we don't address it. And then you talked about spiritual development as well, which I love. I talked about that at the beginning of the month as we were addressing um, mental health because, you know, I think we don't have enough conversations about the spiritual implications, right? How that can really um, understanding spiritual principles and applying them um, can really impact the psychology of someone, right? Which affects sure. how they feel, which affects what they say, which affects what they do. And then what, you know, affects what they continue to do over time. And so you addressed all of those things. I think that's great. Where can people find out more information about your organization and how can we support the work that you're doing? Yeah, so you go to our website, www.grocommunity.org. That's www.grocommunity.org. Uh, we're on Facebook. You put in GRO Community on Facebook, on Instagram, same thing. It might be GRO Dash Community on Instagram, and then on LinkedIn, GRO Community as well. So definitely follow us on our social media. Uh, and then also, you know, our website, www.grocommunity.org. Before I let you go, just two things. Thank you for that information. Popped in my mind to ask you, Aaron. Over the last couple of weeks, I've had several leaders call me from a couple of different types of communities and for different reasons, but it all trickled back to young adults and violence. I've had a church leader reach out to me recently who's had to bury several young men yeah. in the last couple of weeks. Um, in the work that I do with coaching and advising people in business, I've had a mother reach out to me who his child is coming home, you know, screaming because of gunshots, just playing outside, scared for his life. I have an, another leader that reached out to me in the marketplace because a colleague of his, a black male, committed suicide. My question is twofold. One, what can parents do? What's the most important thing a parent can do right now? Um, as it relates to 
you know, being proactive about their child's mental health or even just, you know, maybe just helping them with the mental health issues that are already there. What can they do every day at home with their child? Is it a conversation? There are certain questions. What advice can you provide for that parent? Part two of that is what advice can you give the industry leader or the church leader who is seeing this day in and day out and having to, you know, conduct the funerals of these young men? They're around the young men. What can they, what should they be saying? What, where should they be sending them? I know it's kind of a loaded question, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think for the first part, I think it's, I have a couple of thoughts. <clears throat> One is that I'm exploring this hypothesis of the impact of toxic stress, adverse childhood experiences, poly victimization, which there's a lot of science and research that says that if young people at a young age are exposed to a variety of different things, a little thing, a couple of things I talked about earlier, whether that's neglect in the household, abuse in the household, um, a loved one that's been incarcerated, uh, physical abuse where a mom is being abused, um, it's a variety of factors, right? But those factors has an impact neurologically on young people, on kids. And the research is just really astounding where um, 14 times likely to deal with depression, uh, five times, six times more likely to deal with suicide, um, a wide range of health comorbidity issues, uh, four times, five times more likely to be involved in the criminal justice system. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And so I think one of the things is that we have to really just think about how we and what we expose our young people to in our households that then create some of these behaviors we see later on. And so just really recognize, like I remember I had a young person come into my office for a while. And for the longest, you know, they, they say he was diagnosed with ADHD. And he told me like, yo, I saw my, my, I saw my dad choking my mom and I just can't get that image out of my mind. And ever since then, I just can't calm down. I just can't regulate myself. Right. Like, you know, that that's toxic stress that's in this household. Right. The way we talk to our kids, you know, like I'll see parents. Right. Man, shut the F up. Go sit the F down. Right. Like just be just really be really aggressive. Right. And part of it is they, they learned that that's how maybe some their parents talk to them and they pass it down. Right. And so, again, there's research that shows that trauma be passed down from one generation to the other generation. Like there's telomeres in our DNA that now like there's science that's, that's showing like how you think about us as a people and the trauma that we've been through. Everybody handles trauma differently, right? One person go through trauma and it doesn't have any impact. Somebody else, it could be profound, right? And so like just recognizing how trauma is being passed down and then some of our parenting practices that we've just were either exposed to, that now we got to be cognizant that we don't expose that to our kids and then create, um, you know, just these impacts and then we see play out in our community today. And so I would say that's first. I also say two, um, yo, just know what your kids are either, you know, listening to or music wise, um, know, you know, their peers who they're engaging with. How do you keep them busy? What type of activities are you doing to keep them where they're not being idle to fall, you know, engage in these other things. Right. So like somebody, you know, like I highly encourage parents to keep their kids active, whether that's a sport, recreational activity, a lot of supervised time, oftentimes the behaviors we see with our young people, oftentimes they happen because our young people aren't supervised, right? They're going out doing whatever they want. And so if we can be intentional, making sure our young people have very structured, supervised time, I think that can help too. And I think three is just, you know, if you recognize maybe a young person behaviors are displayed in a way where you feel like, yo, something's going on, get them the help and support that they need, right? Um, maybe somebody they can talk to, somebody they can engage with, right? And, and helping them deal with those things. I think to the leaders that you talked about, you know, pastors or just different people who are interacting or in contact with young people and just kind of don't know kind of, you know, what to do. 
you know, I think I think one is this. I think the church can play a, a pivotal role in just being a, a resource, right? Uh, allowing these young people come to fellowship. Maybe it's giving out food. Maybe it's having basketball, little hoops, so so they can go hoop, and then just from there building that rapport and letting them know, like, hey, this is a safe space that you can come to, that you can engage in. Um, I think also too, maybe using it as a way to build relationship with the parents, right? The parents in the church and, and just really pushing and showing just the power of mental health and getting mental health services in the church where they can be able to get those supports that they need. Because oftentimes it's the moms that are dealing with a lot of stress, a lot of things, and they may be going to that church, right? And man, I, I believe in, you know, I love God, I love Jesus, man, the word is powerful. But I think too, like if we can be getting our parents in these churches more resources and it's not just, hey, come on Sunday, Maybe come on Wednesday and Bible study. That's it. But at the church, we got some counseling services for you. Hey, you know what? You need somebody to talk to. We got this set up and play for you. I think, too, that's how we can also play a role as well. I agree with you. Are there any resources that you can give any parents or leaders who are listening right now? Actually, if you Google livefreechicago.org, they are the organization that are spearheading this. That's livefreechicago.org. And they're collaborating with churches to create uh, trauma-informed spaces for congregants to be able to have, to be able to um, help their, you know, their mental health support and things like that. Awesome. That is fantastic. Aaron, you're fabulous. You're doing a great work. I'm so grateful for your time today. I know people got what they needed (laughs) today. Um, and I appreciate all the work that you and your organization are doing to support Black boys and men's mental health needs. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Break Free Podcast. Remember, this is the place where we show up, tell the truth, and do the work so that we can live God's best for our lives. Until next time.